You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast, aka Murph here to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over. Each week, we'll get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? Today, meet an extremely inspiring person, Jeremy Raisler. Jeremy had a motocross accident back in 2008 that left him with a spinal injury and paralyzed from the waist down. He was now a paraplegic and told he would never walk again, and that was a pretty hard pill for Jeremy to swallow. Time passed, and somehow the idea of riding a bicycle got into his head, and he was determined to figure out how he could learn to ride. You'll hear from Jeremy himself, how he accomplished what seemed to be an impossible goal. In less than a year, he went from an indoor trainer to pedaling in a grueling gravel race called Rebecca's Private Idaho. So here's my interview with Jeremy. All right, well, a super warm welcome to Jeremy. How are you doing, Jeremy? (laughs) I'm doing good. Thank you. Did you notice I didn't even try to (laughs) tackle your last name? I think, I think either on Strava or somewhere you're like, it's like raspberry. And so that's what I say in my head when I see your last name, but how do you say it? It's uh, it's Raisler. Raisler. Yeah. Raisler, how you pronounce it. I, I had some friends, uh, I don't know, it's been 20 years ago. Uh, His wife, used to start joking with me, calling me Razzleberry, and it just kind of stuck. So, (laughs) Well, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. And uh, anybody who's listening to this episode who, you know, looked at the title knows that you are a paracyclist, which um, is a pretty unique term because I think it can mean a lot of things for different people. Um, so I appreciate that you're going to come on and tell all, uh, all of us a little bit about what being a paracyclist is. Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah. And before we get started with that, will you tell the listeners where you live and like if that you if you have a cycling culture there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I currently live in a, in, in a little agricultural town in the mountains of southern Utah. Um, a lot of people know where St. George, Utah is, and we're, we're about an hour, hour and a half northeast uh, of uh, St. George, Utah. Mm-hmm. A little town, about 5,000 people. Oh, um, wow. We got uh, one grocery store, one four-way stop in the middle of town, and a whole bunch of cows. <laughs> the uh, um, the name of the town is Panguitch, Utah, and we're in Garfield County. And Garfield County is known for um, all of the national parks that we have. Oh, we okay. have we have we 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 have Red Canyon. We have Bryce Canyon National Park. We have the Grand Staircase, Escalante. Uh, it uh, we got we're at about sixty six hundred feet right mm-hmm. here where I live, and it only goes up from here. In, in all four directions out of town. Sounds like uh, beautiful views if you have your windows <laughs> facing the right way. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, as far as the cycling culture goes, there really isn't much of one here just for that reason. Uh, there's a handful of women that do that, that have road bikes that uh, will ride from town up to, up to Red Canyon or up to Bryce Canyon two or three times a week in the summertime. Uh, we have a, a high school mountain bike team 
mainly mountain biking in the mountains is I don't know if you've ever done it before, but it it, it really uh, gives a new perspective on trail riding. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, not just with elevation gain, but but the different sceneries that you see. You know, as you're climbing up mountain bike trails, uh, you'll go from go from rocks to different colored layers of rocks, and then you'll get back into the green. You know, into mm-hmm. the trees and the um, biodomes, I guess, is maybe maybe what they're called. Oh yeah, if you get, then, if you get to look around, because when I'm mountain biking, <laughs> I'm staring at the ground the whole time because I'm just like holding on for dear life. <laughs> <laughs> yep, no kidding, right? Holding on for dear, or, or you're climbing a hill and you got your eyes closed because you're because you're struggling so hard, so that you <laughs> you can keep going. <laughs> Shoulders hunched up around your ears, climbing as hard as you can. So it it sounds like you're not, um, you don't have the accessibility for, you know, a big bike group that does weekly rides or, you know, I think you even mentioned before we started recording that a bike shop is uh, many, many miles away. So it's not like you can just walk out your door and have a a group of cyclists to bike with. That is correct. Yeah, it's 40, about 45 miles one way to the closest bike shop. Oh, wow. And when you take your bike in to get fixed and you go pick it up and you bring it home and you ride it only to have to take it back, that gets to be. <laughs> right. right. Um, but they do do group rides, uh, but it's just too far for me to, yeah. to, to go do on a regular basis. I, that is one of my goals is to go participate in those because I have become pretty good friends with the, uh, with the team that works down there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, maybe next year, maybe next year I'll get a chance to get down there once or twice. Yeah. Good. Well, um, let's, if you're, if you're okay with it, I'd love to hear the story of how you came to be a paracyclist. Um, and I've, I've read about it and I've also, you know, heard you talk about it, but it's just a really, it's a super inspiring story to me. I'm not sure if you think of it that way, but do you want to tell us about what happened back in the day? Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm a T12 paraplegic, T12 paraplegic. Uh, I, I've got a spinal cord injury and that, that basically means from about the belly button level down, um, I've got no feeling, uh, or, or, or things don't work correctly. Mm-hmm. Might, might be a better way to put it. Uh, I've got no mind to muscle connections. So, so hamstrings, glutes, hips, hip flexors, uh, things like that. They just don't, you know, there's no connection there. So, so they, the muscles don't grow or don't maintain themselves. Uh, back on February 24th of 2008, um, I used to, to, to ride motocross. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that most of my life, even as, a, even as a young kid. And as I got older, I forgot that uh, my body gets older than my mind does. <laughs> <laughs> and we went to a race, and I, I, and I hit some equipment malfunctions on a, on a big double jump right out of the starting gate. Of a, of a motocross race and I, I lost control of the motorcycle and I lost focus, tried to correct uh, my mistake, but everything happened so fast. Mm-hmm. I had hit the ground before I realized really what, what was going on. And I, I landed uh, sitting on the back tire of the motorcycle from about 40 feet up in the air. And that compression just uh, broke broke three vertebrae and literally severed severed my spinal cord. I immediately lost feeling. Mm. Um, and 
there I laid there for about three hours before before the life flight helicopter came to get me. And a lot of that had to do with the location of the of of, of the motocross track and then weather played a big factor in it. There was a lot of strong winds at the time. Mm-hmm. And and they just couldn't they just couldn't get there and and, uh, and the ambulance couldn't leave because of because of the event that was going on, um, or at least that's what they told me. Mm-hmm. We got to the hospital. My wife and I we got flown into the UMC hospital in Las Vegas, Nevada, <clears throat> and uh, we had the surgery. And and that's I don't think I realized what had happened or how severe the accident was. I knew I couldn't feel things. I knew every time they'd sit me up, I'd pass out, mm. but I didn't, I, I, I wasn't comprehending what, what had happened. And they told my wife that uh, my life was going to be different forever. And they were more concerned about her oh, sure. and, 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 and how, how her life was going to have to change because she was going to have to take care of me. Mm-hmm. I would never walk again. Um, and uh, I, I would need help getting cleaned up. I would need help in, you know, in the bathtub. I would need help with every, putting my socks and shoes on in the morning because I wouldn't be able to bend down to even do that. And I've, I've only talked to you for a few minutes now, but I'm going to guess that that <laughs> did not sit well with you. It didn't. Um, we got into therapy uh, about a week and a half after, after, after the surgery. And, uh, um, I got moved to a, to an inpatient re- rehab hospital. Mm-hmm. I had a really good therapist there. Him and I got along really well. <clears throat> uh, and uh, he was super interested in how he could help spinal cord injury uh, recovery. So he taught me a few things, but, you know, it was still all teaching me how to live out of the wheelchair, how to do things. Mm-hmm. Within a couple of weeks, I was able to bend down and tie my shoes and then pull myself back up or figure out how to you know, use my hands to push myself back up when I was sitting down. Um, they taught me how to cook from from a wheelchair. They said, you got to hang a mirror above the stove so that when you're boiling water, you can look up into the mirror and down into the pot rather, oh, than, sure. pull, rather than pulling yourself up, risking dumping that pot of water on you because you won't feel it. Mm. <laughs> um, so we did that. Uh, I did that for about six weeks and then it was time to go home. And my gosh, was I excited to go home. I, I, still don't think I comprehended what was going on because I don't know if it was the combination of the drugs and my therapist being such a positive person, mm-hmm. but I still, I still really didn't know. We got out into the car. They taught us how, taught my wife and I how to get me in and out of the vehicle. We got home. My wife helped me get out of the wheelchair into the wheelchair. I turned it around to go into the garage door, uh, into the house through the garage door. And I think that's when it hit me. I was like, Oh my God. I can't even get up into my house yeah. because of, you know, the, the, the step up from the garage floor, you know, it was about an eight inch step up into the house. So the comfort of home, but they, completely different, right. different perspective. Yes. Wow. Yes. And I think my wife saw, saw it or felt it because she immediately grabbed the wheelchair and turned it around and says, the neighbor built a ramp for you at the front door. Mm. Uh, <laughs> my eyes are I'm gonna start crying thinking about it um we we uh she, she pushed me out and we went in through the front door and it really struck me at that point that they were right I was no longer the same person that I used to be I couldn't do anything I used to be able to do wow. I couldn't 
I couldn't bend down to pick the dog up to pet it. I couldn't take out the garbage. I couldn't get a glass of water. I couldn't mow the grass. I, I couldn't, there was nothing that I was going to be able to do that I used to be able to do. Mm. I couldn't help. I, I couldn't provide for my wife because I'd been on a work for six weeks. And what was I going to do sitting in a wheelchair? Who was going to hire me doing what I used to be able to, or what, what I used to do. Right. And I told her, I said, well, just, I just want to go to the bedroom. And she started to push me and I stopped her. And, it, and, and I, and I'm sure I wasn't very nice about it, but I think she understood. So I pushed my wheelchair into the, in, into the bedroom and I just wanted to lay down. Um, oh, actually before that, I begged, I, when I first told her I wanted to go to the bedroom, I told her, I, I said, no, I don't want to go to bed. Take me back to the hospital. Oh no! <laughs> I wanted to go back to where I was comfortable. Yeah. Right. Be, being at home, being at, being at home with that was actually frightening at that point. Uh, anyway, so we got to the bedroom and I realized our bed was too hot. She realized our bed was too, I couldn't even get into the same bed that I used to sleep in. <laughs> so we, we, we blew up an air mattress right next to the bed and I slept on that. She slept in the regular bed. Uh, I, I laid in that bed for three days. Um, crying, upset. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go to the bathroom. I couldn't, I, there's just nothing that I could do on my own. Mm-hmm. And it was that the third day, I'll never forget that third day after being home. And I don't know the exact date of it, but that third day of being home, laying in that bed, I was seriously bored. (laughs) I was tired of laying there crying. I was tired of just laying there doing nothing. And it was then that I realized if something's going to happen, I'm going to have to be the one to make it happen. I now, I now, I now know the severity of my injury. I now know that my life is never going to be the way that it used to be. But if I want to try and make things close to the way they used to be, I'm going to have to work really hard at it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so I started researching spinal cord injuries on my own. Um, I was going to outpatient therapy at the same time with the same therapist that I had during, 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 during the inpatient, uh, uh, therapy that I was doing. And at that point was, uh, therapy more about you being comfortable, uh, in a wheelchair or was it, was there ever a time way back in those early days where you were like, I'm going to walk again? Like, was that's a really, yes, that, 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 that's a really, really good question mm-hmm. because when I first started going to outpatient therapy, I still had that mentality was just to maintain. I was trying to read things on the internet about spinal cord injury recovery but everything that I was reading was just saying what the doctors were saying. You're, you know, you broke your back. You can't feel your legs. You're never going to walk. Oh, wow. we, we, we could strap you to a robotic machine so you could get the sensation of walking again. But that's really all that's available for you. Uh, so I wasn't learning a lot. But after two or three trips in the van down to the, uh, down, down to, down to the therapist, I got to talking to him about it. I was like, there's got to be, there's got to be something. There's got to be ways. To, to do this and um he he would help stand me up holding on to me so i go from sitting position to standing up holding on to him and 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 just after a short period of time one or two sessions uh we would start taking trying to trying to take steps mm. you know he would he would walk backwards and, and and i would try and keep up with him that started getting my wheels turning in my head. And I says, well, gosh, if I can do this, maybe I can do things on my own as well to try and to try and get stronger. So I come up with this idea to, to push a table, uh, to lean, you know, stand up leaning against the table and see if I could push it. 
So I built a I built a steel table in my garage and I welded wheels to the bottom of it. <clears throat> and I had the neighbors come over and flip it over. And sure enough, I could stand at that table and I could push it across the garage floor. And then I would just shuffle around to the other side and I would just push this table back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And um, I um how were you able to move your legs if you didn't have feeling? Was it just the the motion of gravity moving them? Well, I knew what they were supposed to do. I had to, I, I had to watch. I, I, I had to look down, you know, okay, like, like, sure. like in my, in my brain, I had to say, okay, we're going to move the left foot forward. And, 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 and so I would, because I couldn't move the left leg forward, I would throw the hip, you know, I kind of lean over, okay. mm-hmm. you know, lean up against the table. I'd lean to the right, just kind of flop that leg forward. And I would do that both ways therapist didn't like the idea at all he's hyperextension of the knees you're going to burn out your knees and you know in just a matter of months and then you're going to have bad knees on top of everything else <laughs> i wanted to walk you know right, i wanted right. i wanted to be able to do things um that table was a defining moment in my recovery um as it got easier to push the table I would start practicing on my gait pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, now I wasn't looking to see where my legs were. I was just assuming they were going in the right place. And just through repetition, I can't say that the mind to muscle connection was made, but the mind was telling the muscle what to do. Wow. And it was, and it was doing it. And it does 15 years later, it doesn't look pretty when I walk, but I can do it. Uh <clears throat> As the table got easier, I would add weight to it. You know, I would pile pile uh, Rubbermaid containers with Christmas decorations on it, so it got heavier. You know, just to keep building that strength. And from that, I progressed into a treadmill. I fell down a few times, obviously, mm. but I just get back up and try again. And what this did for me mentally was was it allowed me to realize that I could get up out of the wheelchair. I could get up and get a glass to get a glass of water. Yeah. You know, I, I could stand at the sink and turn the faucet on. Um, I could pull the garbage out of the garbage can and tie a knot in it and set it on my lap and roll it outside. Uh, but that was as far as I thought I could go. That was, uh, I did that for years. Mm-hmm. I don't know, 10, 10, 11 years. Uh, I guess that's that's the journey up to the shortly up to when I I started. I think I kind of got back into a little bit of a depression or depressive state. Um, Where you're probably so, like trying to think of what's next, right? Yeah, I mean, you're like yeah, pushing yeah. a table uh, across the garage, and you know having those increases in mobility are probably, I mean, that had to have been life-changing in itself. But then at some point you're like, I want to ride a bicycle. Like that's seems like a pretty big stretch, but yet here we are. Yeah. I, I got into this depressive state. Um, and, and, and I didn't think I was going to be able to go any further than, than than where I was at. Mm -hmm. I, I want it so bad to be normal. I, I, I didn't want to be the one that everybody looked at funny or felt like they had to hold the door for, or, you know, I didn't want to be different than anybody else walking through the grocery store. That had was always my main focus uh, this entire time since my injury. I tried several things. I, I was a, I raised purebred cattle. 
after my injury uh, just to see if I could do it. Mm-hmm. I drove a semi-truck. I, I went and got a CDL. I don't know why they even gave one to me, but I took the test and I passed. <laughs> <laughs> I got a CDL and I drove an 80,000-pound semi-truck across the country back and forth for a year. Wow. Just and, 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 and I did all these things thinking that it made me feel normal, but in reality, all it was really doing was it was was I was concealing the fact that I was paralyzed to myself, or concealing it to myself, I guess, basically, um, hiding the fact that I was paralyzed. And, but none of these things were satisfying to me. Uh, they were extremely difficult to do. I mean, they're difficult for anybody to do, much less somebody who's paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And, and so I would burn out simply from fatigue. And uh, I wish I could tell you the day that I wanted to try ride a bike, but I really, I really don't know, remember how exactly it came into my head. But my wife and I were up in Salt Lake City. We were, we were, we were at a little restaurant eating dinner, and I looked up at her. And I says, "You know what? I wonder if I can ride a bike." <laughs> I cannot imagine what she, her face looked like looking back at you. Well, 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 well first thing she said was, "No, of course you can't ride a bike." <laughs> You know, like, well, yeah, you're probably right, but I should like to try. So what do you think? I mean, how how do you think we can make this happen? And uh, we were just talking at the at the at, at the table at that restaurant. And I says, well, what about I've been seeing these commercials for Nordic Trek for, the, you know, for an exercise bike. I mean, that's stable. You know, it's on a platform. I can we get one of these and I can see if I can sit on it. If I can sit on it, we can see if I can pedal it. So she agreed. Like a stationary ordered, bike that stays inside? Yeah. yeah, yeah okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just an exercise bike uh, with iFit. Mm-hmm. So, so, I, so I wasn't going to have to look at the wall when I, you know, if, if I could do this, I was actually going to have people motivating me to, you know, to, to, to ride my bike, help me teach or help teach me how to ride the bike mm-hmm. just, just through these classes. And uh, sure enough, we got it home, put it together in the bedroom and realized it was supposed to go upstairs. Oh crap! Now what do we do? So I had to call the neighbors. Neighbors hauled it upstairs. Um, oh, you know what? I forgot that step. Um, I would push the table, but but we live in a house that has stairs, a two-story house. So I would I would hang onto the railing and walk up and down the stairs. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> wow. yeah. So I knew so I knew I could get upstairs. Just you know, but it was it was all arms. You know, arms hanging onto the railing, pulling myself, but. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there had to have been some hamstring movement there because no matter how hard you pull yourself, you've got to push, push through your legs to get up, to get up, get up a step. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyways, that was one of my, one of my therapies that I was doing. So we got the bike, we got it upstairs, and then I couldn't figure out how I was going to get my leg over it. So, so my wife would go up with me uh, and, and she would help me get my leg over the chair I would stand on the pedals and I could sit on the seat and push on the pedals. <clears throat> um, I could spin circles. And I, I did that. The, the first day is when I realized how good it had, how good that made me feel to be able to do something on my own like that. Right. And physi- with that, with... physically, could you feel your feet on the no. pedals? No, I, and I still can't. <laughs> so it's just that re, kind yeah. of like when you learn to walk, how you look at your feet. Yeah. You did the same thing with biking where you started yeah. out by watching. Oh, I'm so like, yep, I, so I, impressed. I, I, I started simply by watching my legs. I you know I, 
I would, I would tell my brain would say, push down with your left foot. And there were times where I had to put my hand on my, you know, on my left knee and, you know, and physically push my leg to get the momentum going. But oh, once yeah. the momentum was going, you know, now it's just repetition at that point. Hmm. It's just, you know, as long as I can keep that thing moving, you know, my legs are spinning and I would start, you know, and, 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 and then the exercise, <laughs> you know, the, the, the sweat, right, right. <clears throat> it made, it made me feel so good. Um, I just, I, I did that a whole bunch. I found, I, I found a trainer that I just absolutely fell in love with. I loved how him, he connected with me through these classes that he had made uh he's actually a hall of fame gravel cyclist now yuri hoswald hmm. and he kept talking about social media you know hey send me a message tell me how how my videos are helping you and i didn't have i didn't have social social media and i want to go back all this happened in the fall of 2022 okay so oh, i went from super recent <laughs> Yeah, so I went from an accident in 2008 to not getting on a bike until the fall of 2022. Wow. Yeah, and uh, so I created a, a, a social media account, and I connected with Yuri, and it's just, it's one day I got tired of riding a bike in the house. You know, the sun was shining. I was looking out the window. I said, I want to try riding a bike outside. And um, I borrowed one from a friend, and the wife and I loaded it up. We moved it down to a lower elevation where there was no snow. And I got on the bike and I fell over. Mm -hmm. I got on the bike and I fell over. I got on the bike and I fell over. I'd lean, I'd get on the bike and I'd be leaning against our pickup truck and I'd get my feet placed on the pedals. Cause I you know again, I can't feel. So I have to be able to physically watch where my feet are going. Mm -hmm. I have to grab my leg and turn it so that my foot is pointing straight and set everything down on my pedals. And I would try and start pedaling I fall over I was gonna and say I you have to, <laughs> to to be leaning against the truck and balancing yourself and then mm -hmm. you've got to get enough momentum to start pedaling I, I think yeah. that would be well you'll tell me if yeah. it was impossible or not well it was I thought it was yeah. you know I just you know at one point I says you know what this this, this isn't gonna work I'm just gonna go back to the bike in the house that made me feel good this makes me feel like shit I don't want to do it um but there was one time that you no, know, I'm going to try it one more time, and I learned that yeah, you can actually put your feet on the pedals and and actually get going. I mean, you can start pedaling from a dead stop if wow. you really want to. And, and and my God, I was riding a bike. Wow. I think I, I think I made about 30 feet, and you know, and I wanted to. I didn't know the terrains and, you know, I've been on an exercise bike in the house. So the road was going up and down. I was on a gravel road and I was hitting rocks and things were bouncing around and I fell over, but I felt accomplished at that point in time. I knew that I'd be able to ride a bike outside. I cannot imagine that feeling of that very first, <laughs> even if it was only 30 feet, just to like, you're yeah. doing it. Like, wow. I did it. Exactly. I, I can do this. Um, so we loaded up the bike, we took it home, I gave it back to my friend, I got back on the exercise bike and uh, waited for spring. Mm -hmm. And um, I bought a bike, I bought a bike and I would just, I would practice it in, in, on, in our driveway. 
we've got a we've got a porch railing that goes all around our house and i would lean against that porch railing and i would just practice taking off and stopping you know i would take off and i'd ride to the end of the driveway and i'd come back Mm -hmm. and i would try and, and i would stop i'd stop the same way feet on the pedals stop the bike and fall into the fall into the railing mm-hmm. um and then i'd have to get off the bike and i'd turn it around and i just kept doing that over and over and over and you know i just kept teaching my things uh murph i just kept teaching myself how to do things it it, it grew to where i could ride around the block it grew to where to where with a dropper post on the bike, I, I was able to get the coordination where as I was coming to a stop, I dropped the seat on the bike. Oh, so, so you'd my, be lower? So I'd be lower oh. and my foot my foot could touch the ground and, and and I would do this next to the handrail so I wouldn't fall because I am still sick and tired of falling over. Um, but I would try and stop and plant that foot at the exact same time. Oh. And I actually got pretty good at it. Hmm. Uh, and... Yeah, you know, just just like anything else, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Next thing you know, I was I was riding five miles, and then ten miles, and then fifteen miles, and then the dopamine fix was crazy. I was gonna say that I was so happy. Had to have been so exciting every single time. Like, yeah, yeah, it was. And and you could ask the people around me. I was I was easier to get along with. I wasn't always defensive. I wasn't always saying things that. probably didn't need to be said uh it was making me a better person mentally and physically right yeah and when you look at the bike um at least you probably have multiple bikes now but besides the dropper post did you have Mm -hmm. to adapt anything on those bikes or were you just like i'm gonna i'm gonna practice and practice and practice until i can ride a bike no matter what bike it is yep that's exactly what it was i wanted to my goal was to, at that point, I was going to be a paraplegic cyclist, which to me, and there's nothing wrong with, 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 with being paralyzed in a, in, in a hand cycle. I think that's 100% inspiring. But for me, I wanted to ride a upright acoustic bike. Mm-hmm. So I've just, I didn't adapt anything. I just learned how to use or, or how, to, how to adapt myself the existing equipment for for instance i was talking about my feet i found a pair of shoes that worked really well for me i could walk in them and i and i could cycle them and i found a set of pedals that worked really really well for me it's a flat pedal with a how would you call it a cleat a clip oh so you so you lock your feet into the pedal i on my right side i do my right my 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 right side is my weak leg so so like if i stand and i pick my leg up uh, I stand on my crutches and I pick my leg up. My heel, my heel turns in and my toe turns out. Wow. That's the same thing when I'm when I'm riding a bike, you know, because you're not constantly, you don't have a hundred percent pressure on those pedals all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, there again, because terrain changes and speeds change, and sometimes you need to rest. So I do clip in on the right side, uh, but I leave the left side unclipped. Mm-hmm. This combination works really, really well for me. Now, if I fall to the right side, I've got nothing stopping me. And I have fall to the right side. <laughs> I, it damages, it damages the, the, the derailleur on the bike as much as it hurts me. <laughs> and I think... I try and fall to the left. <laughs> and I think uh, everyone who clips into their pedals can say a similar story, but... It's you know, probably a little bit, that, yeah. little bit different for you, but I'm just like, yeah, I've done that too, especially with plenty of people watching me. But 
Yeah. Yep. So we have to. Um, so here you are going from, you know, uh, indoor bicycle, stationary bicycle to now you bike outside. How did you get from that to Rebecca's private Idaho gravel race? Okay. I am so, like, this is this is probably one of the reasons that you're on this podcast is because I'm so I'm so um, obsessed isn't the right word, but I really really want to do per- Rebecca's private Idaho some near, and I wanted to find out your perspective on it. Right. Well, I. I hope after this you you become obsessed with, with Rebecca's private <laughs> okay. Idaho because everybody needs to be obsessed with Rebecca's private Idaho. What an unbelievable experience! Uh, I told you uh, with IFIT, I had got, got or I had met uh, Yuri Hoswald uh, just through you know communicating on social media. Uh, well, again, I can't tell you exactly what led up to it. One day I come to work and I turn on my computer and I uh, open up my emails and there was an email that Yuri had sent to Rebecca, Rebecca Rush, mm-hmm. um, Mike Mack, uh, Mike McCormick with, you know, the Breck Epic stage races, the, the, the Rebecca's private Idaho team and introducing me to him. Oh, wow. And, and I didn't know who these people, well, I, I, I knew who Mike Mack was for some reason, but I didn't know who these other people were right away. But I, but I knew it was an event and I was super excited because th- that was really what I, you know, I was kind of trying to build up to. And I had been telling Yuri this, but I didn't really think that I would be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so, so, so he introduced me to him and they, they, we set up a meeting, a, uh, a Google Meet meeting, and they invited me to Rebecca's Private Idaho. Wow. And to, prepare, to, prepare, to prepare for Rebecca's Private Idaho, just riding around the block wasn't going to be sufficient. So I says, well, let me see what other races are close by to me. I signed up for Crusher in the Tusher in Beaver, Utah. And I don't know if any other gravel cyclists are listening, they know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just like a 70-mile race with almost 11,000 feet of elevation gain. <laughs> but kind, kind Wait, of so like this my is, accident. <laughs> this is your first race? Come on, Jeremy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> go bigger. Like yeah. yeah, go bigger, go home. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like the accident, though. You know, when I was in the hospital, you know, I knew, I, I knew, but I didn't know. Yeah. All, all I knew was, it, it didn't dawn on me, Crusher and the Tusher. You know, why they call it the Crusher. It didn't. All I knew was it was 30 minutes from my front door. So I was like, hey, this, this will be convenient. I'll just go practice on this gravel road. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so so I trained for that, and I went to that. Um, it was a horrible experience all the way around, just from preparation to getting there. To, I was nervous. I was alone. I was scared. I I made about three and a half miles. I, I, I didn't get out of town. I mm-hmm. turned I, I, I turned around and went home. Uh, well, I didn't go home. I mean, I turned around at the end of the race. And it wound up being a good learning learning experience for me. I did get to go go sit at the finish line and cheer on the pros and mm-hmm. everybody else that, that was able to climb like 10,500 feet or something like that, oh, 70 wow. miles. I know it's insane, isn't it? Wow. Uh, now, uh, through Rebecca's private Idaho, Back to that. Um, for those that don't know, Rebecca's Private Idaho really is, it, it, it's a four-day stage race, a four-day all-inclusive gravel experience that has a big main event on the on the last day. Um, 
in that stage race, they, Rebecca Rush is known as the queen of pain. So they call it the queen stage race. Uh, it's got technical single track. It's got double track. It's got casual riding. It's got timed hill climbing. It's got like a fun ride. Um, it's, it, it just has, I mean, there's even a parade in the town while the race is going on. It's, I, I well, mean, it is so much fun. Rebecca Rush, <laughs> um, you know, like you said, she's the, she's known as the queen of pain, but she's also known as the queen of Stoke. So you mix like super high energy cheerleader with I'm going to give you some of the toughest terrain that you can think of. Like that's that defines Rebecca Rush and Rebecca's private Idaho. So I um, yeah, I would love to hear your you know how you did. Did you do it? Right. So, yes. Wow. Um, When I first signed up again. It was kind of like I had just signed up for the Crusher and the Tusher, and I was telling tell, telling these RPI people, yeah, I'm going to do the Crusher and the Tusher to train for Rebecca's Private Idaho. Sign me up for the 103-mile race. That's the one I'm going to do. I'm going to knock it out of the park. I can ride my exercise bike, so I can do that. <laughs> um, after the Crusher and the Tusher, I realized, yeah, Jeremy, you're probably not going to do a 103-mile race. So, so I talked to him, uh, or, or we communicated via email for a while, and wound up settling on the uh, 53 mile mm-hmm. race, which still had almost 4,400 feet of elevation. Yeah, it's again, no, if I remember right. It is no joke. Yeah. Um, and I want to say it was like 16 or 1,700 feet in the first 12 miles of the race. Wow. I mean, so you start going uphill and you do most of your climbing right off the bat. Yeah, I did a lot of things that led up to this. I got to, I got to experience the uh, base camp training. Um, uh, so I got to train for eight weeks mm-hmm. with other people that were going to be now kind of a, maybe a virtual training type thing, but I had a coach that I could talk to. They set up a training peaks account for me. So I, you know, I kind of got to learn how to train for a bike race, which mm-hmm. I think really, really helped. Actually, I know it really helped me that experience of learning how to ride a bike, being able to talk to other, other, other riders or other racers to have the coaches there to answer questions for me was was an integral part of the rpi experience Mm -hmm. uh so it comes up to the day to go i'm super excited we load up we load up we drive up to southern idaho and uh first thing we do is we go to a big fundraiser for rebecca's uh, foundation the be good foundation and I got to meet all these people. Finally. Wow! <laughs> I got even I, I, even I, the iFit guy. Yuri Hoswald was there. Oh. He was there. Uh, um, uh, Rebecca was there. Uh, Mike Mack, Mike McCormick was there. So many people that I had learned over the course of these few months that were have been my mentors. I got to meet them yeah. and and hug them and shake their hands and talk to them. It was a, I was a little starstruck, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, so we did that. Uh, the next day was uh, was the, uh, I don't know what you call it, shakeout ride, the mm-hmm. shakeout ride. Yeah. And, uh, but I, the part, part of the deal with me with Rebecca's private idol was I wanted to have a support rider with me because if I did get stopped, I was probably going to need help to get restarted, mm-hmm. especially going, going uphill like we were going to be doing. So rather rather than me participating in that shakeout ride, I got together with the support riders that Rebecca's Private Idaho had supplied for me. And there were three of them, so that was awesome. I had, I, I had three people there to, to push me along and to be a part of this with me. 
we all kind of worked together to learn what maybe they could do to help. They mm -hmm. were able to see how I was able to get going, how I stopped, how I rode my bike, and you know, to give them an opportunity to think about for that day until the next morning when uh, when we did the race. Next morning, we woke up, we went to the race. Such a positive, positive feeling. It was nothing like I had felt at the, at, at the Crusher and the Tusher when I was kind of felt like I was alone. Mm -hmm. And I was alone because I wanted to be, you know, I didn't, I didn't want people looking at me different. But at Rebecca's Private Idaho, I had now learned that being a paraplegic was, wasn't really a bad thing. I could actually use this to my advantage to become a better person. Mm. So when that race morning came, I was, I was so positive. Um, I was so excited to get this thing going. I was full of energy. I was ready to tackle it. And never once, well, about six hours into it is when I think I told my support riders, <laughs> I don't think I want to do this anymore. Mm. I'm done. You, got, you guys keep going. But they sat there with me and we just talked and we had a good time and we shared stories enough to where I was able to recover and we got back and on you, the bike. I, and you I kept going? Yeah. I, fin I finished Rebecca's Private Idaho. I oh, did, congratulations. Uh, that... According to my bike computer, I did 57 miles. I climbed over 4,000 feet. Um, it took me almost nine and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And out of that, according to the computer, I pedaled or I was in motion for seven and a half hours. Wow. Yeah, pretty crazy, isn't it? Um, but I finished, I crossed, I, I crossed the mat when we took off and I crossed and they, they left the mat down for me. I was able to cross the yeah. mat at the finish line. And I mean, they were so done that <laughs> the vendors had packed up, everything was done, but they left, they left the mat, they left the arch up for me. And you'll never guess who was there waiting for me when I crossed. Rebecca Rush was there. Oh, she, that... I don't know that she waited for me, but I'm I'm going to tell myself that yes, the day I died, yeah. she was there for me. <laughs> it gives me the goosebumps regardless of if she was there for you or not, but that's amazing. Yeah, she was there for me. So, yeah. So, to this day, I cannot, I'm paralyzed from my waist down. I walk with crutches. I walk with braces on my feet so that my toes don't drag when I do pick up my legs to walk. Mm -hmm. If I stop and stand and, and, and you were to take my sticks away from me, I, I will fall over. Mm -hmm. I cannot stand without my crutches. I've got, I've got no feeling, no strength there. I don't, I can't explain it. I love riding a bike and I can do it. And, and, and I can't wait to do it again and again and again and again and again. Wow. Yeah. The, the freedom that, you know, I can just feel it in your, um, in your attitude, the freedom that it gives you. That's it really amazing. does. Wow. Yeah. Do you think you'll go back and do RPI again? I guarantee it. Wow. I'm, I'm already signed up. Oh my gosh. Maybe I'll have to sign up so I can yep. meet you in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I've got some pretty, some pretty cool things coming up here in 2024. One is RPI. I do plan on doing that again, but before that, um, I am going to do a bike packing trip Ooh. in Southern, Southern Nevada. Again, paraplegic, I'm going to go bikepacking for, I don't know if it's going to be two days or three days yet, but I'm going to go bikepacking through uh, through the southern mountains or southern Nevada mountains to, uh, with, as a fundraiser. I've talked to uh, oh. the Be Good Foundation and, and, and they're going to support me and help me with it. And I'm going to try and raise enough money to get two, two para athletes to Rebecca's Private Idaho in 2024. Oh, that's amazing. And, and, 
and not just cover that race, but I'm trying to raise enough, or I'm gonna try and raise enough money to all inclusive. I'm gonna cover travel. I wanna cover their room. I wanna cover the base camp training. I wanna cover that, you know, that 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 main event race for them. I, I don't want them to have to worry. I just want them to be able to go and ride their bike and experience what I was able to experience. Right. Feel, and, feel what I felt. And I know RPI, at least at the time of this recording, is quite a few months away into next year. Mm-hmm. Yep. But do you already have uh, either a, a landing page or a social media site about that information, or sh- should we look to that in the future? Yep, I, I don't have I don't have anything yet for for the fundraiser. No, uh, that that will be coming. Um, kind of got to get uh, just something recent within the last month. We I've started working on. Yeah. And, and you know, and with Thanksgiving coming up and such, it's it's kind of hard to get everybody locked in. People traveling. But that that should be up soon. I do have, you know, as we talked about the social media, I, I document every single step of this journey on Instagram, and it's a very simple name. It's Paragravacyclist is my uh, handle there. And I also have a blog website called, or same thing, www.paragravacyclist.com, where, where, where I, I will have a lot of information about the fundraiser as it becomes oh, available. Oh, good, good, good. Isn't and, it cool uh, that you actually can call yourself a para or a gravel <laughs> paracyclist? Like, yeah, yeah, that's and and it's kind of like you said at the beginning. It you know that can be taken in so many different ways. You know, a para athlete, a paracyclist might be somebody who you know who 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 is missing an arm or you know or 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 or, or has other issues. Mm-hmm. I'm paralyzed from the waist down, riding an acoustic, human-powered upright bike. Wow. Um, just to see if I could do it. <laughs> yeah, and you did. You and you continue to. That's just yep. awesome. Good. Yeah. Yep. Well, Jeremy, I am beyond thankful that you took the time to come on the podcast and talk about your journey and where you're going with it. And now to know that you're going to try and support other paracyclists for future events, like it's it's all really really cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, one, that kind of stuff keeps me motivated. The, the, those are the things that, 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 that keep me going, keep me wanting to, to ride the bike. Um, I mean, it does make me feel good, both mentally and physically. Right. It, 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 it's been really good for me. But, I, you know, setting these kind of goals, uh, seeing the progress in myself, they're great motivators. Um to, to continue riding a bike. Uh, the mentors I have, you know, I was telling about Yuri and Rebecca and Mike and Rebecca's Private Idaho and the Be Good Foundation and you and uh, other people that are interested. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I follow all of you closely and I share these accomplishments and I share, but I also share the times where I feel like I might have flatlined. And right. I do that. I mean, I, I lay that vulnerability out there because it gives somebody else an opportunity to help me. And then in turn, they feel good. And, you know, you know, it just keeps progressing from that. Now I, they've helped me get out of my little funk Mm -hmm. and I'm back, back where I was. I love it. Love it. And uh, like you said, your Instagram page is para gravel cyclists. And then if you go to, 
uh, Jeremy's Instagram page, you know, if you look at the link in the bio, that will take you to the blog and, you know, all kinds of just fun stuff about what you do. So, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And I look forward to uh, hopefully meeting you at RPI next year, right? That's right. <laughs> you, you, you better be there. <laughs> All right. It's, it's been said on the podcast. I guess I have to go now. But... No, you have to go. That's right. All That's right. right. If I'm, if I'm going to go to Rag Bright, you have to go to RPI. Okay, deal, deal. All right, thanks. <laughs> well, listeners, that's it for this week. Email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com if you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting. Support my podcast at patreon.com slash morphology and visit both my Facebook and Instagram pages for daily entertainment. I have more great episodes in the pipeline, so I hope you continue to be a Morphology Podcast listener. <laughs> <laughs>